Snapchat. Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of maths do not apply here. <laughs> One of my favourite brands of comedy aerial is brown people and black people making fun of white people. Senators have been dropping like flies recently. Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles Carter family, women just have one name. Backchat on FBI Radio. Hello and welcome to Backchat on 94.5. This is your freshest wrap of news and current affairs from the week. I'm Ariel Bogle. And I'm Osman Faruqi and today... Ariel Bogle <laughs> is by-election day in New England. Yeah, Woo. what the, a the moment! The nation stops by-election in New England. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the by-election that stops a nation. Uh, New England is the northwest New South Wales seat, kind of including Armadale and Tamworth. That Bunaby Joyce is recontesting after he was booted out of Parliament last month for being a secret Kiwi citizen, and so there's been. Uh, you know, there's been campaigning going on. There's been um, there's been that funny story about Gina Reinhardt giving Barnaby Joyce an award, a novelty check, a novel giant novelty check. Um, but but the what what's really been going on in the backdrop has been a lot of internal turmoil amongst the coalition, particularly some bitter infighting between the National Party that Barnaby Joyce is obviously the leader of, and and the and the Liberal Party. And the Nationals are not happy. In fact, they're really really unhappy. Here's what the New South Wales Deputy Premier, a guy called John Barillaro had to say about federal politics on 2GB this week. Turnbull should go, that's what you're saying? Well, my, my view is Turnbull should give and uh, when? Australians a Christmas gift and, and go before Christmas. There you are. Good to talk to you. Hang in there, will you? We need someone who's got the guts that you've got to stand up and say what the public are saying. It's a d- deputy premier of the New South Wales Nationals and the leader of the New South Wales Nationals telling Alan Jones that Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister, should quit before Christmas. Well, the first question is, Ariel, who, who is this guy? <laughs> Good question. Uh, well, I do follow politics and state politics to a degree, and John Barillaro is not hugely on my radar, but he did certainly make a name for himself this week. Yeah, like, I mean, I write about politics full-time, and I feel like I should not admit this, but, like, I I'd honestly did not know he was a deputy. Like, I'd heard about him, he was, like, education minister or something like that. I, like, haven't really heard much from him in the state political sphere, mm-hmm. uh, and now he's burst onto the federal scene, and he's... Uh, said that the Prime Minister should resign, which is a way uh, to get your name out there, I guess. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting because in the wake of the Queensland election, of course, um, looks like Labor will be back in. Um, the One Nation Party did not, you know, get as many seats as many expected. There were some really big concerns that they would just be taking a whole swath of Liberal National Party seats that didn't bear out. So I'm not quite sure what a New South Wales Deputy Premier is so worried about. Yeah, totally. It's weird. Is it, is he genuinely concerned that the direction the federal government's going in is alienating the National Party base, or is he just causing mischief because he doesn't like Malcolm Turnbull and there are elements within the Liberal Party and the National Party that want him gone for yeah. someone more conservative? It's interesting because, uh, of course, Malcolm Turnbull said that the Queensland election result was not because of federal issues, and there's been some strong debate about that because I think the um, seats that were lost in Queensland, a lot of the people from those seats are pretty upset and think that it, in fact, was uh, the same-sex marriage debate, uh, the Banking Royal Commission debate, a whole heap of federal issues that have really been capturing the headlines and probably had a lot of impact in Queensland. Yeah, it, it is interesting to see that the government did backflip on the Banking Royal Commission. It was the National Party, Queensland Nationals in particular, George Christensen uh, and a few others, really Barry Sullivan, really pushing this idea of a Royal Commission to the banks. The government refused it this week. They finally signed up to it. And the Nationals will probably claim that as a bit of a win. But it's it's going like this, this tension is clearly not going not gonna to dissipate. And this week, the fact that John Barillaro dumped on Turnbull this week, the you know the week before 
Barnaby Joyce's by-election, mm-hmm. he's probably still going to win, but it's not a good look. And he was Barnaby Joyce was really unhappy with with what John Barilaro said. In fact, Barnaby Joyce said the worst possible insult in politics is you've done something unhelpful. It's worse than drowning a dog, worse than murder. This is definitely in the category of very unhelpful. <laughs> so, so Barnaby Joyce, the leader of the National Party, just said that the deputy premier of New South Wales, the leader of the New South Wales National Party, uh, committed a crime worse than murder and worse than drowning a dog. Hectic. Didn't know politics was so hectic. <laughs> but it's interesting too because um, New South Wales probably going to have a election maybe March 2019. Yeah, it's I fixed term, so it'll be March yeah. 2019. Yeah, yeah. So if a federal election does not happen before then, I suppose um, the LNP in New South Wales will be kind of worried what impact federal politics will have because... The people of New South Wales, people of Sydney, will not be able to have their say on how the country is going at a mm. national level until um, beyond the New South Wales elections. They might take the opportunity to punish um, the locals here. I wonder if that's the fear. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, I think the broader thing happening is this fragmentation within conservative politics. So we've seen people like Cory Bernardi split off from the Liberals and start their own thing. There's the Liberal Democrats that, that have been around for a bit. Now One Nation is making inroads, and even though it hasn't, it, it only they only just picked up one seat in Queensland. They got fourteen percent of the vote, and that's something that the Nationals will you know will fear uh, mm-hmm. in future elections. In New South Wales, the One Nation Party is in fact not even registered to run in elections, but right. we have our own conservative like minor party. It's the Shooters and Fishers, and they've had a presence in state parliament for quite a long time, and they have in fact this year in a by election won a seat of the National Party. So there is a concern that the the conservative vote is like drifting away from the Liberals and Nationals and going to these minor minor parties. And obviously, John Barilaro, even if this might not have been the best way to deal with it, is worried for exactly what you said, that maybe people will give the state government a kicking while while they want to actually take the baseball bat to Turnbull. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have that chance, so they might take it out on Gladys Berejiklian instead. Exactly. And I don't think Australia has tested exactly what it would be like to have a truly functional um far-right party mm. on the ballot because One Nation, of course, I mean, Pauline Hanson, it's a personality cult for Pauline Hanson, in my view. Without her, it doesn't exist. And the candidates they fielded in Queensland, for example, were uh, questionable at both, I think. <laughs> if you want to go see what a train wreck press conference looks like, go look at the candidate who, it turned out, owned a sex shop with a questionable Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Nothing against sex shops. <laughs> But maybe you know, make sure that social media is something we absolutely are against. <laughs> social media should be locked down before you start fielding candidates. Just one suggestion. Yeah, it's it, it's it's really interesting. Like Pauline Hanson, she's been around for a long time. She obviously does have the ability, just through her name, to attract votes and attract a section of the population that is into her ideas or into the idea of her as an anti-politician shaking up the system. But what what always surprises me is like watching her press conferences and stuff. She's just not very good at public speaking. <laughs> And and as you've outlined, like the Queensland election, they didn't. They organisationally, they were incompetent. They had so many scandals, so many candidates quit. All this stuff happened, and she still pulled nearly fifteen yep. percent of the statewide vote. So, yeah. like you, I'm kind of worried about what might happen if we had like a a credible, you know, mm. far right party. And I'd certainly say that Pauline Hanson's um, appeal is nothing to do with her awkwardness in front of the camera. In fact, that might be part of her appeal. No, oh, true. That's a really good point. Yeah, people like the look of her as not a polished politician. Yeah. So we're going to get more into the right wing next up with Josh Butler, um, another a journalist who went to see some Milo Yiannopoulos content this week. <laughs> that should be pretty interesting. But first we have Sampology with Thicker Than Water. 
No, we don't. There he is. One moment. Um, I think it's playing. I can sing sample thicker <laughs> than well. Actually, I haven't heard this song before. Um, the I guess the the other thing that that's happened in in politics this week that we mentioned earlier was the the banking the banking royal commission, which the government, um, as we we're saying, the National Party has been pushing it for a long time. The Liberal Party kept saying no, and then weirdly this week, before the Liberal Party could announce its backflip, all the banks came out because the banks obviously don't like the idea of the banking royal commission, and they were saying no, we don't need it. It's totally unnecessary. It's like you know why do we need to get beat up on? Um, and then they all four of them came out and said you know what, it's time for a Banking Royal Commission. And then the government looked pretty silly. <laughs> a very interesting situation. I'm going to try this music again, um, but there's a language warning on this one. If it does play, it's Omar Musa with Assimilate. You're listening to Backchat on FBI 94.5. That was Omar Musa with his track Assimilate featuring Tasman Keith. And to continue the proud tradition of Australia taking people the rest of the world don't want, witness the first fleet, I suppose, (laughs) Uh, professional right-wing troll Milo Yiannopoulos is in Australia right now. A former editor at Breitbart, his Troll Academy tour is travelling across the country right at this minute. And he's made some waves here, of course. Uh, Senator David Lionhelm asked him to come speak at Parliament House. The Greens were not happy about that. The Daily Telegraph is taking him seriously, giving him column inches, and basically is having a pretty dream run in Australia. Josh Butler, an editor from Huffington Post, was at a Milo press conference this week, which was, judging by your Twitter feed, a pretty bizarre occasion. What was it like? Yeah, it was just... Um, it was super bizarre. It was... Um he had this presser in... It was like a little sort of screening room, sort of theatrette thing at a hotel in uh, in, in Sydney. And um, I turned up and I was sort of expecting something to sort of be there. Like, you know, like he's the kind of guy like, oh, you know, the left just follow me around and they protest me and they try and shut me down, that sort of thing. And there was like one confused looking cop sort of standing <laughs> on the door being like, what am I here for? And this big security guy being like, he's sort of standing there. And so you walk downstairs and he's... I got, got there a bit late and he'd already kind of started and uh, there's a bunch of cameras and all that sort of stuff there. And he... I walked in and I couldn't like quite. I, I looked at him. And I went, you know, I just did like a double take. He was wearing this like bizarre, big like military kind of jacket sort of thing. Like not like a like a, like a camo sort of mm. thing, but like a something that you'd imagine like they would have worn in like the French Revolution kind of stuff. Yeah, like, like with the Chris Martin with the, video. that sort yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that that sort of Coldplay vibe <laughs> he had in, the, in those videos, and he had like the 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 big epaulets on the shoulders, like the big shoulder pad sort of things. This massive like. Um, metal on his chest as well. It was the size of like a small kind of dinner plate. It was just, it was just bizarre. And he's like, um, he talked for a bit and he goes, oh, look, I'm going to take some questions from the audience now. Um, and my policy is um, you have to give me two compliments before you ask me a question. And everyone went, because there's like, you know, journalists from like the big TV networks, there's yeah, a few yeah. like, you know, print journals, like the decent journalists were there. And they all went, Ugh. and he goes, I've also, also got a reverse discrimination policy. Someone taking questions from a uh, straight white men. And everyone went, <laughs> and like one of the female journalists, it was mostly female journalists that were there. And one of the female journalists put her hand up to start with. And he goes, oh, honey, you're not, you know, honey, this is, this is not my policy, blah, blah. And he waited until a man took a question first. And I was just, Oh God! It was just the most bizarre thing, and I don't know we talked a lot about you know th- this week about you know, normalising these sort of people, about not giving them you know interviews on their terms and that sort of thing. And everyone's kind of asking the same questions. Alex, like, so what do you think about same-sex marriage in Australia? And what are you here to do? What do you think about political correctness? Someone so asked they were him, just softballing him. Basically. Someone asked him about eighteen C, I think, and I was just like, well, what does this guy know about eighteen C? Like, it's it's just like, who cares what this guy yeah, thinks yeah. about? 
Australian politics. Like, you wouldn't have known who half these politicians were until a week ago, and Max Marx and his publicist told him about them. It was just a very odd press conference. It was just a bizarre situation. I think I think we want to we want to kind of go a little bit more into detail into some of that stuff. But before that, do you mind just walking us through setting the scene a bit? What like what what's his deal? Like what's been happening for Milo? Why is he in Australia? Why do people want to buy tickets to see him? Yeah, he's like. I, that's a very good question, actually. <laughs> um, he's um, he, he's one of those guys, you know, part of this collective, you know, sort of alt right sort of thing we hear about a lot in America. Um, and and like we mentioned, like you know, he was uh, he was part of Breitbart, which was um, you know this alt right sort of propaganda platform, more or less. It's running as a news site, um, and he's got in you know a lot of trouble in you know. It's been very good for his brand, but you know he's got in a lot of trouble uh, in recent years. Like he was part of the whole Gamergate controversy. Like he was part of you know harassing uh, Leslie Jones, who was the one of the actresses in the the Ghostbusters reboot. Um, you know it's just terrible too. He got banned from Twitter over that stuff. Um, you know there's all these interviews that have come out. Um, you know in the last couple of years where he's talked about you know pedophilia and all like you know there's you know been criticisms that he was you know sort of been an apologist for pedophilia talking about how it's you know okay for young men to have relationships with with older men and that sort of thing um and i guess the most recent one he uh got in a lot of trouble in this really good buzzfeed report um it where it sort of came out that he was this, this amazing video came out um where he was uh singing karaoke in front of uh this crowd of people, which included Richard Spencer, who's like a neo-Nazi kind of dude, is involved in the Charlottes, Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Charlottesville rallies, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're all doing Nazi salutes in the front row and that sort of thing. So oh. Milo's come out here now, and he's like, you know, one of these sort of you know incendiary personalities. He's going to come and tell Australia what you know how we're going to save ourselves from political correctness and that sort of junk. And it's just yeah, he sold sold a bunch of tickets apparently, but um, you know, I'm not sure who too. It's interesting, as you mentioned, after um, the comments that Milo made that seemed to be sort of open to the idea of pedophilia, he got he lost a lot in America. He mm. got dropped from Breitbart. He lost one of his major funders. Why do you think he thought Australia was a soft touch? Why did yeah? Is there something about um, the development of the right wing movement here that made him think that we were you know going to sell a lot of tickets for him? Yeah, look, I think it. I've thought about this question a lot and. I'm not sure like which one sort of came first out of these two things. Like, it's I'm not sure whether it's he wanted to come out here and a guy like Max Markson, who is a pretty notorious sort of publicist, he also looks after Mark Latham and Alan Jones and someone else. Sort of, he's doing like a book for like Lionhelm, I think. Like, he's doing publicists for all that sort of stuff. So I'm not sure if Markson was like, I'm already in this realm of Mark Latham's. Maybe I'll get this Milo guy who Latham and Bolt and all those sort of people love. Like, he goes on Bolt all the time. Andrew Bolt's show on Sky. He goes on Alan Jones' show on the radio and that sort of thing. Or He's, he's been on commercial TV as well, yeah, hasn't he? he's been yeah. on, like, Sunrise. Yeah. He's been on, um, I think he went on one of the, not the, not the Today Show, but, like, the, the morning show on Channel yep, 9. Yep. Um, Studio 10, I think. He had a yeah, crack right. at Jessica Rowe over her hair, which I thought was really weird because they basically had the same haircut. Like, <laughs> he, like, he got up really prominently in his press conference and he's like, oh, Jessica Rowe's, you know, a shaved head feminist and she's got the bleach hair. I'm like, dude, your hair is like almost the same. <laughs> like, she might have like a number one razor on her side. You got like number three, man. Yeah, like, yeah. what are you talking number about? Number three is what I got this week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> very good. It's just, it's, it's a very weird situation. And um, I think there is this sort of growing 
uh, movement in Australia that is, uh, you know, receptive to this sort of thing. Mm. Like, you know, that's why Mark Latham gets viewers and that's why, you know, he keeps appearing on commercial TV and on radio and he's a commentator and, like, he's, you know, in certain demographics, he's very much derided and very much sort of laughed at because he's a bit of a moron. But, like, you know, there's people in Australia that that respond to that sort of thing. They're yeah. anti-political correctness. Yeah. They're anti-18C. They're, you know anti-white racism well, what are, what are the sort of stuff you want to talk about and he's just that kind of in that sort of realm of people um, and you know he said he sold 10,000 tickets so that's not you know it's not a massive enormous number he's not going to be selling at a stadium anytime soon but there is an appetite for that sort of thing in Australia and I think it's a very weird thing and I think we're going to see more of it in the next couple of years because it doesn't seem like it's going away and I'm not sure if there's going to be more of these Milo types imported from the US that are going to come over here because yeah. there are other types of yeah, like yeah. along the his sort of lines but um yeah, watch his face, I reckon. Then, um, it, when you were talking about the press conference earlier, Josh, you were talking mm-hmm. about how so a lot of the questions were like pretty soft questions. They were either weird ones about 18C or they were just ones for him to mm-hmm. kind of rant on about what he does. But um, And that doesn't seem like an ideal way to cover someone like him. But you obviously attended the press conference, mm-hmm. so presumably your perspective isn't that we should ign- ignore him. Like, What do you think the media could and should be doing better around these kinds of things? Well, I think it's important that we put this sort of stuff in context. Like, you know, it, it, it's so easy um, to treat a guy like this as like, oh, wacky, controversial opinions. Here he is to talk about feminists and that sort of thing. And like, you know, it's very easy to sort of uh, paint him as this sort of pantomime act where he gets up and he just says controversial things like a, you know like a like a dummy you pull a string on he says this sort of you know pre-canned phrase feminism cancer that sort of thing um but i think it's really important as well that when we talk about people like this you don't just uh get tempted to only stick onto those big import you know big sort of controversial things that will get a headline because like i went i waited until the end of that press conference i was i was there to kind of watch more than to cover it i ended up writing a story about it because i thought it wasn't worth writing a story about. I went to sort of watch the, the spectacle of it, I guess. Um, and it got towards the end of the press conference and no one had asked him about the Nazi stuff. Right. And no one had asked him about Richard Spencer. And I put my hand up and I went, what, what do you, what are you, what's going on here? Like, you know, do you apologize for this? Do you think it's important? Like, again, I wasn't planning on writing a story and by that, that point in the press conference, I knew I wasn't going to be writing a story. But it seemed to me either that every journalist there, again, I'm, I'm not sure what... what of these two options it was, either every journalist there was not aware of this part of the story, of, of this part of his checkered, very controversial past, to know that he has been caught singing karaoke in front of neo-Nazis, you know, actual Nazi guys that walk around with swastikas and the, that sort of stuff, jackboots that are wearing guys. Yeah, and the um, I for some reason it's really stuck with me, the anecdote from the BuzzFeed story that his like email password, I think, was longknives1290, tw- yeah, which yeah. is... Uh, reference to Hitler's purge of Nazi leadership, and also the um, date when the Jews were expelled from England. Mm. So, Jesus, when your email password is like it's, that's the that, thing, yeah. And uh, he 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 batted this question. It, it, like, I'm not gonna be like, oh, I I unsettled Milo. Like, he seemed like at the, for the first point in the whole press conference, he seemed like he was a little bit taken aback. Like, he wasn't expecting someone to ask him about this. Right. I wasn't sure if he thought maybe that Australians hadn't read this report or it, you know, it wouldn't be able to follow we him. Wouldn't get Buzzfeed. Here. Wouldn't be able to follow him across you know across the ocean to, from America to to Australia, but. No one asked him about it, and it was just bizarre. And like I, you know, I didn't watch any of the TV news coverage that night. I don't know what people included in their reports and that sort of thing. But 
I think it's important to put this sort of stuff in context and go, yes, it's very easy to talk about Milo. And the Daily Mail have done it this way. Like they've, I think they put up some. I saw someone tweet about. It. I didn't, you know, confirm this for myself, but it was something like ten or eleven articles they put up about him. Yeah, yeah, that's that right. That day, yeah, yeah. it might have even been used tweeted. I can't remember. Yeah, who yeah, said that's it. right. And it's just like every every story with its own. Milo says feminism is cancer. Milo says you know Clem Ford is a whatever. Milo says Jessica Rowe is a blah blah, and they're all separate stories. And it's like. What are we doing here? Like, you know, it's so easy to talk about this guy as just a, like I said, like a wind-up kind of act, but, like, this guy's not a good dude. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because I think um, we're running out of time, so I just want to get this last question in, but it's not only the Daily Mail-type media that are having Mm. trouble covering the right wing. Um, There was a big controversy last week over the way the New York Times covered Mm. um, this Nazi sympathiser in Ohio. A lot of people said it was too soft. Like, do we want to know that Nazis own four cats and like cooking and listening to the radio? Like, is that valuable? I mean, the argument is that this shows you that the Nazi sympathiser can live next door. It, Mm. you know, humanises them and makes us realise that they could be around us. But it is interesting to think... to come up with a strategy to cover this responsibly. Can you write about Nazi sympathisers without writing about the victims of Nazi sympathisers? Is the picture complete to cover these people when you only cover who they are and not who they affect? That's a tough one. And I think, you know, we haven't had to deal with Nazis for a long time in the media. So I think people are still <laughs> it's working. It's a good time, wasn't it? People, yeah, people, people are still having to work, to work this out, I think. And, and we're sort of working out how we're going to do this and what's what, what the best way to do it and that sort of thing is and you know we all know what the Nazis did we don't know what Hitler was about and that sort of thing but like for us in you know 2017 turning to 2018 it's it's a long way to look back to the 1940s and World War II and that sort of thing and actually put in context what all that stuff was about mm. you know if you're a Nazi sympathizer it's not just that you like wearing swastikas and walking around in jackboots and stuff like you're like you know tired of this ideology this this you know let's exterminate all the Jews in the gas chambers and stuff and you know I, that, that profile is really interesting because like you say, you know, do people need to know that this guy has four cats and he likes his coffee a certain way and that sort of thing? I think it's really important that we put stuff in context like that. You know, I'm not saying I, I agree with every way that story was, was portrayed, but I think it's really important for us to be able to say these guys can be anywhere. They don't have to be the guys that are marching around in the jackboots, waving the Nazi flags, you know, singing German, you know, chants and that sort of thing. These can be regular guys next door to you. And I think it's important that we, we see that and that, you know, we don't just saying, oh, he's not a Nazi because he's a nice guy. It's like, well, you can be a nice guy and a Nazi too, really. Like, well, that's, nice. that's not the best way to put things. But you know what I mean? Like, it can be a regular-looking person. You can be a regular-looking person. Can, you can be, a regular looking be person. nice to his mum and, totally. st- and still hate black yeah, people. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's what I was going for. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so moving swiftly along, we have our favourite segment. My favourite segment. Everyone's favourite segment. Back chat roulette. It's we, gonna it's gonna have to be a quick one. Yeah, this morning. indeed. Osman, what do you got? Uh, so my thing. Remember Martin Trekelli, the farmer bro do who did a lot of dodgy Martin stuff, Trichelli. and he's uh, one of the things that he was most uh, famously made enemies of the world over was how we bought the the Wu Tang Clan album Once Upon a Time in Shell in the one copy, and then refused to play it or like do anything with it. He's now been convicted of like securities fraud. He lied to investors, <laughs> and as part of the the verdict, prosecutors like government prosecutors prosecutors have asked him to hand over that copy of the Wu-Tang Clan no album. Way. So we may finally... So Wu-Tang Clan get their money from Martin Trichelli uh-huh. and we, the public, will all get access to it. Win-win. Hopefully. It's a win-win. Win-win-win. Win-win-win, because Trichelli's going to jail too. Yeah. It's like... 
That's there's, insane. It's like the best news story of 2017, I reckon. <laughs> oh, man. Josh, what did you, what caught your eye this week? I don't even want to talk about it. I want to take you talk about this. <laughs> but uh, no, it's the Sam Destiari thing. Sure. Like, it's just, you know, got done for, you know, got demoted from the, the Labour sort of you know, shadow ministry, whatever position he was in, you know, about a year ago because he, uh, you know, took this money that he wasn't supposed to take from a Chinese donor and, you know, he got and worked his way, you know, he spent some time in the wilderness and worked his way back up to be, uh, I think, deputy whip of, of, of Labour in the Senate and came this week that he went to that same guy again and, uh, you know, told him that he might be under surveillance from the authorities and to, you know, leave your phone inside so we can have a chat and, you know, that sort of thing. It's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, and his defence, he's like, oh, I didn't give him any top secret material. It's like, you know, look, I know Sam Destiari, I cover, you know, I've, I've interviewed him a lot of times, like, you know, I say a lot of him in the halls in Parliament when I go to Parliament, that sort of thing, but like, he got, man, what are you doing? Like, you can't, you can't do this. You can't go around and telling a guy he might be under the ASIO surveillance and, you know, maybe be a bit careful what you say. It doesn't matter. You can't do that. You're a senator. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Such a weird story. So mine quickly is um, R.I.P. A Little Peep. This R. was a, ra- um, a U.S. rapper who died a week or so ago. But I want to I recommend particularly the New York Times podcast. It's a podcast they have about popular music, basically. Um, but they did a really interesting episode about Little Peep. And so Lil Peep was part of this genre that might be called SoundCloud rap. Um, it's it's interesting. It's kind of like emo and rap together. Like there's a lot of rapping about mental health and depression and Xanax and like sort of move. You know, we're way ahead uh, away from the sort of party vibes. It's more about like just surviving. Yeah. And I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting that this can be a super popular genre of music at the same time. Like Trump is the in the White House at, and as well really engaged like activism going on in America I just like don't understand what's going on in America when all these three things can be happening at the same time mm-hmm. it's a really big issue to talk about in 30 seconds I know it's on a podcast <laughs> I haven't heard this yet but podcast yeah. is hands down my favourite podcast yeah, so check out the like little peep recommend. episode on podcast and you might get you know just a little inkling into what the youth of America are into right now I want to hear a whole segment on this next time guys this is interesting yeah, yeah. come yeah. back next we week we should do that. 30 seconds <laughs> that's all, all right. we got time for but Josh Butler from HuffPo thank you so much for joining us on Backchat yeah thanks Agenda is up next we got to shout out our producer Natalie Sekolovska thanks as usual have a great weekend team Ariel play us out I will this is Sampology with Thicker Than Water